Hello, welcome to Sleep Unplugged. This is Dr. Chris Winner. Uh, this is episode four, White Noise. This has been a topic that I've wanted to do since we started this little pirate podcast. It reminds me of the 1984, remember the 84 movie, Pump Up the Volume with Christian Slater. It's kind of how I feel talking to you guys right now. Such a great movie. If you don't not familiar with it, I highly recommend it. It was a very influential movie for me growing up. Um, but this guy basically moves to a new new town and he's kind of shy in high school, but he's got this crazy pirate radio station going on and sort of this alter ego. Happy Harry Hardon, I think was his name, but um real real breakthrough performance for Christian Slater. Remember, he gets on his microphone and says something like, uh, okay, it's time to get down to business. Got my wild cherry diet Pepsi, got my black jack gum, and I've got that old familiar feeling like something rank is going down or something like that. Anyway, great movie. So here we are, episode four. We've made it this far. I think we talked about in the last episode, we're going to make the first Monday of every month. Insomnia Monday. The other thing I want to institute is viewer mail. It's always one of my favorite things from David Letterman growing up was his mailbag. So I'm going to take one comment, one criticism, one question a week and address it right at the right at the top of the show. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with me, social media is dr Chris Winner on Instagram, dr Chris Winner on Twitter. Uh, DR Chris Winter on TikTok, if you're brave enough to go there. Uh, so let me know what you think about the show, how we can improve it, what you'd like to hear about, etc. So I'm going to go to Ann. Ann asked the question, look, when I get in bed, I sometimes takes me a, while, a little while to fall asleep. What do you think about the 30 minutes and then getting up and going to do something. She said, I find that when I get up and actually go engage in something, it makes it even harder for me to, to get back to sleep. I would say, Ann, I, I think you can do what you like, but but here are my, my recommendations. Number one, I wouldn't recommend getting up and going to do something unless you really just don't want to be in bed. If it's really frustrating to you or upsetting to you, I would say just stay in bed. I think you're better off just resting than getting up and, you know, cleaning windows or going through your refrigerator and throwing away old food or whatever, whatever you like to do in the middle of the night. Um, that said, I think it's okay to do those types of things. I mean, if you're really just uncomfortable, don't want to be in bed, then don't be there. It's fine. Um, the other thing I would say is don't put a clock on it. You know, I've always heard 15 minutes. People always say 15 minutes and you know, get up and go do something. She's talking about 30 minutes. I think anytime you put a timer on sleep, you're asking for problems. Um, you know, complete this in 15 minutes or else, or complete this in 30 minutes. I think it's very difficult. I mean, what are you supposed to be looking at the clock? Okay, it's 12.02 now, I've got 30 minutes. So that means at 12.32, I have to get up and go do something. Okay, here we go. All right, now it's 12.15. I'm going to have to get up now in 17 minutes if I'm done the math correct. And oh, there's no way I'm going to correctly, I'm, no way I'm going to fall asleep in 17 minutes. So I think you got to get rid of the shot clock. Uh, that, that doesn't really help anybody out. So 
I think the third thing is, you know, forget the shot clock, get up if you want to, be in bed if you want to. That would be my preference. That regardless of what happens, really try to minimize your concern about it. Learn to enjoy that time and don't let it influence when you get up the next morning. I think the big mistake in that situation, which is a situation that's going to happen to everybody, is I had a difficult night, so I get a little Starbucks gift card that entitles me to 30 minutes of sleep when I want to. So when I get home from work, I'm going to sleep for 30 minutes, or I'm going to sleep in an additional 30 minutes you know, before I get up, or I'll skip the gym today because I had such a difficult time getting back to sleep. I, I think that's always a problem. I, in that situation, you had the opportunity to sleep. Your brain kind of didn't feel like it. That's fine. I would still get up and go go, go to the gym um, and say to your brain, hey, look, sorry you feel bad doing these, you know, uh, uh, hammer curls or whatever you're doing in the morning, but you had the opportunity to sleep. You didn't. So there it is. All right. Well, thanks, Ann, for for checking in. Hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, let's get into white noise. What is white noise? White noise is, and again, if you're a physicist out there, a sound engineer, love to hear from you and correct all my mistakes here. But basically, we think about sound. It's a it's a spectrum, just like color. You go from you know Roy G. Biv, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, whatever. Uh, sound is the same way from you know, low frequencies to, to high frequency. Ah! Um, it's just vibrations. And as we lengthen that vibration, we go from a fast high frequency to a low frequency. Um, so that's what it is. It's just a it's a it's a it's a wave. Um, and then we can control the amplitude of it, the size of the wave, not the frequency of the wave, but the size of the wave is volume. So you can have a, that's, that's low frequency, low volume, boop, low frequency, higher volume, beep, higher frequency, low volume, beep, higher frequency, high volume. So, so there's sort of a two-dimensional thing here, the frequency of the wave and the amplitude of the wave. So we're talking about frequency here. So white noise, if you think about frequency, that at all those frequencies, low, middle, high, things we can't hear on either end, it's the signal is of equal intensity all over the place. And so you get this sort of all frequencies firing with an equal intensity, and you get a sound that sounds like an H. That's the, you know, when you do the crowd noise, you shoot your free throw and you're playing out back and you make it at the buzzer beater and the crowd goes wild. That's that's white noise. That's an H sound you're making and you're kind of recreating white noise. And I'll play a little snippet of white noise if you'd like to hear it. Uh, we'll see how this goes. There you go. So that that's white noise, all frequencies ha you know, happening at the same time. So there's a guy named Jim Buckwalter back in the 60s uh, created the first that we know of white noise machine start a company I think called I think it was called Marpac and they made a white noise machine that was sort of the state the standard bearer for white noise machines called the dome and I had a chance to see the original dome one time it was actually made out of a dog bowl and a fan uh, and it created this really great sort of white noise sound and and 
And so people used it. You could put it outside your office. And so when you're having a conversation that needed to be private, you really couldn't hear it really well because that white noise spectrum happening kind of masks sound. Over time, they looked at that and said, well, you know, maybe this could be helpful for people when they're trying to sleep. Uh, there was a study back in the 90s of babies in a hospital that showed if you played white noise, they actually tended to sleep better because it probably masked the sounds of all the equipment and the doctors and nurses talking and, and things going on there and kind of created a more uniform sound that, that may have been less stimulating to, to, to babies. Uh, over time, uh, they also started looking at white noise as perhaps affecting memory. There was a study back in 2017 that looked at adults learning words um, and showed that the individuals who were learning these things in a white noise environment seemed to do better. Um, it's really interesting what they were learning uh, where, where they were given pictures of aliens. <laughs> it was it was a standardized pictures of aliens this this researcher named Gupta uh, came up with. And so you were shown a picture of alien and their name was Serba. They were made up names for made up alien, you know, real alien picture, a little black and white pencil sketch. And then, you know, later on you saw the alien and you had to say, oh yeah, that's Serba. And people who were exposed to white noise did better on that. Um, I'll put up the, the incidentally, if you, if you follow me on Twitter, I will put up, um, I'll try to do it on Instagram too. Um, I will stick with Twitter. Uh, on my Twitter, DR Chris Winter, I'll put up the alien pictures. They're pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, just the idea this would be a standardized sort of, if you're doing medical memory testing, these are the validated aliens that you should be using. Anyway, um, so I'll put up Gupta's aliens. It's it's worth taking a look at. Um, so yeah, so 2017, Nature says, look, you know, this might might be helpful. So those, you know, now all of a sudden there's questions. Why is this happening? Well, the, the predominant theory was, well, this may just be kind of helping individuals with concentration. Um, uh, but then other people said, well, no, it's it maybe going beyond that, and actually the white noise is influencing dopaminergic pathways in the brain. So when I say dopaminergic, what I'm talking about is in the brain, there is dopamine. That is a chemical I've probably everybody's heard something about. As a neurologist, we think about it in terms of things like Parkinson's disease. These individuals are manifesting a condition of decreased dopamine so that you get the characteristic, you know, shuffling around and their facial expression is sort of one note, um, tremor, um, all those things kind of go along with dopamine. When we think about mood and depression, dopamine is central to that pathway. There, in fact, there's medications that influence dopamine that can be very helpful for individuals who have depression. You know, uh, bupropion, Wellbutrin uh, uh, is, is one. Um, addiction, uh, things that uh, drugs that, that are addictive often influence dopamine, but even things that you know, are lesser than if you really love golf or you really love, you know, shopping or whatever your passion is, you're probably getting little squirts of dopamine with that too. Sex, huge implications with dopamine. Um, and then with sleep, you know, as a sleep specialist, as a neurologist who specializes in sleep, we think about dopamine a lot because dopamine is, is very central to many aspects of sleep. 
um, which is probably why when you look at an individual with Parkinson's disease who's deficient in dopamine, they really struggle with, with sleep initiation, sleep quality, et cetera. Um, and probably the reason why they come over to your house and your grandpa sits down immediately falls asleep on, 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 on your couch because dopamine has um, influences, influences over vigilance and wakefulness as well too. So when you take that away, uh, their sleep can be problematic. So anyway, but dopamine is also very important for memory. Um, and so the thought was this white noise could be influencing those pathways and affecting memory. Um, but the sleep thing was always the interesting one uh, from my perspective. You know, is it really helping with sleep? And I'll say this, you know, there was a, I think it was a Swiss study uh, that showed that basically if you got into bed, imagined yourself in a submarine, thought of yourself saying, I'm going deeper, I'm going deeper, um, and kind of recited that little mantra in your mind as you were falling asleep, it improved deep sleep by something like 80%. I'll try to find a link to that study um, and, and put that up as well, too. And I'm not saying it's a great study or some sort of you know validating study. My point is, there are studies out there of lots of things that improve sleep. What we want to look for, is it reproducible and to what scale? You know, it is making an individual fall asleep on average 40% faster. Well, okay, well, if the, the control group was falling asleep in 20 minutes and you're 40% faster than that, is that particularly meaningful? So there's a lot of confounding things that go along with that. So you know, and I'll say from the onset, I like noise machines. Um, I think they're fine. I mean, when you're a family, I've got three kids. God knows I've shoved them all into a hotel room and said, okay, you two are in that bed, you two in that bed, and we'll get a roll away for you. Or pop will take the hit on this one and sleep on the floor with a pillow. I mean, I think I've slept in a bathtub before, you know, the night before uh, my I'm not going to name any names, but the night before I took my neurology boards, I slept in a bathtub. So um, because the guy that I was sharing a hotel room with, who was also a neurologist, snored so badly that I thought, my God, I'm going to fail this test because this guy's snoring is so off the chart. So I just made a little bed inside the bathtub. So um, anyway, back back to the white noise. So I like them. I think they can be very helpful. So the question becomes, okay, well, this white noise can help to sort of drown out things that our brain might attend to at night, like hearing a television through a wall or people talking outside in a hallway or traffic noise. This could be something that is uh, it's so interesting. It A thumb just appeared on the screen if you're watching the, the video channel. I'm not sure who just gave me a thumbs up, but... It just sort of magically appeared. Sorry about that. I'm not sure where that came from. So when you're looking at the, the white noise uh, in terms of sleep, the question becomes, okay, are we just masking environments and creating a more uniform environment for the brain to sleep in? Or is it actually improving sleep? Well, along comes Dr. Atara, who's a researcher, I think at Iowa, who said, look, using a white noise machine every night night after night after night could be problematic. And, and here's why. 
our brains are constantly modeling themselves and we model ourselves based upon the environments that we are in. Meaning that if you have a rat or some sort of experimental, you know, animal that is born into darkness and silence, you know, after a period of time, if you take it out of that environment and, and expose it to other animals and light and stimulus, stimuli, it, it doesn't, the brain never really kind of catches up. And you see the same things within individuals who might have hearing impairments or visual impairments. You can fix them later on or improve them. But if that little window of development is, is not capitalized on, there can be lasting problems that can never really be overcome. So Dr. Atara said, look, if you're playing this 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 white noise all the time you're sort of bombarding the brain the the auditory cortex with just a cacophony of sound and stimulus that over time is going to dull the brain's ability to respond to unique stimuli stimuli um and there may be some truth to that um in other words, does the brain just sort of constantly hear everything so it can respond to nothing? So that's where the research about white noise creating brain damage came from. Brain damage is, is a strong word, but they're basically saying, is it impairing our ability to sort of remodel our brains over time, which we're always doing? And could that potentially be uh, something that lends itself to memory loss or at least less cognitive uh, adaptivity, flexibility as we get older. And because of this, pink noise was born. So pink noise, instead of white noise, does not have equal signal intensity across the spectrum. That basically pink noise is giving a lot more intensity to lower frequencies and much less to higher frequencies. And so if you were to stack them up and say, okay, white noise is everything full blast, you can start to develop a series of different sound colors. So, and they're really basically created based upon what are you favoring? So, you know, used to be a thing in my generation, you bought a stereo. It was Kenwood, Pioneer, JVC, you know, Panasonic, whatever. Um, I was a uh, Pioneer guy. And one of the components, you got your dual cassette decks, and then you've got your tuner to listen to your radio, then the big you know, amplifier that drives everything. And then you could get this separate equalizer, which had the little lights and the little levers that you could kind of push up and down. So you could basically favor things. And, you know, what I would typically do is shove all the bass up, all the treble up and all the mid range was kind of in the box. So everything was kind of scooped out. Um, other people really favored bass and, you know, whatever. Uh, so when you're thinking about these different noise colors, it's all about where you're shoving those little equalizer bars. Are you favoring the bass? Are you favoring the treble? Are you favoring the midtones? So pink noise is really favoring those bass tones. 
basically. So I'm going to play you quickly a sound of pink noise, and then we'll play the white noise again. So here's the pink noise. And here's the white noise again. So you can kind of hear, we'll do pink noise one more time. Listen for the depth, the deeper sounds of this. So the thought was, you've got variation now. The brain's not getting bombarded across all frequencies. Would this improve sleep? Could it actually improve memory? And there were studies from like the 2010, 2015 sort of time period that showed, yeah, it looked like people who were listening to pink noise got a little bit more deep sleep, uh, maybe even improved memory in some older individuals. Um, and, and these were very small studies, 40 subjects, 12 subjects kinds of things. And once again, if you sit there and imagine yourself in a diving bell when you go to bed, you can, you can improve deep sleep. 80%. These studies were not showing massive improvements to deep sleep. Uh, you know, as I recall, like 5% more, 8% more, something like that. But, you know, they were kind of showing these types of things. So that's where pink noise came from, just to kind of round out the the, the noise spectrum. Um, and I'll, I'll put some of these, and I'll put a diagram on my Twitter page, DR Chris Winter, that you kind of shows you these things. Uh, there is uh, going from sort of top to bottom. Uh, if you think about purple noise, it's favoring the higher frequencies. And we can listen to that real quick. Ooh, let's go over here. All right. Here is the purple noise. Hear that? It's kind of like a gas leak. Much higher, but none of that depth. Uh, as we kind of go down here, we can kind of next listen to blue noise. A little bit more of that depth mid-tone in there. And then brown noise. Is really, really kind of favoring that deeper tone. And there's, there's also something called gray noise where you're actually equalizing based upon human hearing different sounds. So in other words, the sounds we hear best have a little bit of a lower volume. The, the sounds we hear uh, less well have the higher. It, it has that sort of scooped out appearance. So as you start getting closer and closer to the edges of our hearing in terms of low and high, you jack up the volume. So everything sounds the same level to our ear. And so here's some gray noise. So that's the essentially looking at the different noise spectrum. Um, and some sound more like waterfalls and some more like, you know, the gas leaks and whatnot. So uh, I, I think that there is some evidence out there that shows that, hey, these things may be a little bit better for us over a long period of time. So the question becomes, you know, what's what's the better environment here? Um, is it, should we be listening to uh, silence, white noise, pink noise, episode of Friends at night? You know, to me, I, I think that we probably want to avoid dialogue. You know, so if you want to put a podcast on like our podcast and listen to it before you fall asleep, 
that's fine. I would just set a timer to it. There's no reason for me to be talking to you all through the night because there have been studies in the past that have shown if you put people in scanners, like PET scanners, you can actually tell when they're listening to people because certain areas of their brain sort of lights up. So light, light up. In other words, there was a study that actually put individuals into a PET scanner and they were playing them words, verbs or colors, if I recall correctly. And so what was happening is these sleeping people were in brain scanners and they were listening to sounds, blue, run, green, jump, yellow, kneel, you know, whatever. Um, and so what happened was when they were looking at these PET scans in real time, they were actually showing that the brains were organizing those words. They were having a different response to the verbs as it were the colors. So you can't learn Spanish in your sleep. Um, but if you're listening to somebody trying to teach you Spanish, you're probably attending to it to some degree. And that might be degrading the quality of the sleep you get. So my take would be if you're going to listen to something at night, it probably shouldn't be language. Um, in terms of the white noise, pink noise, I, I think that, that, you know, with all these things available to us, using something that's a little bit more structured, like pink noise, probably makes more sense um, than using the white noise. But I think individuals who use these types of things from time to time, um, it, it's fine, you know, using them. Um, especially in an individual who is trying to create a better sleep environment. I think the real question becomes, hey, my sleep environment's great. It's totally dark and it's nice and cool and it's perfectly silent. No snoring bed partner or noisy neighbors. What should I do then? I, I'm still a believer that I think that silence is probably best. Um, if you're saying to me, Chris, I can do either one, you tell me which one you think is better. I'd say silence is probably better um, in terms of the place, the way we were sort of meant to sleep. But I certainly don't think that you're harming yourself using you know, some device that's generating some degree of pink noise. Um, there's another aspect of sound and sleep that's kind of interesting as well, too, um, that, that, that that's referred to as binaural beats. Um, and this gets into this really, really interesting sort of idea that is there a sound or a tone that can sort of resonate in a way that kind of entrains a brain to sleep better? Um, we were talking about pump up the volume at the beginning of the show. Uh, the theme music for his little underground radio show is a song called Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, the late, great Leonard Cohen, one of the most gifted songwriters ever, who's probably best known for his song Hallelujah, uh, which was reportedly, I think it took him seven years to write, and he had written like a hundred and some odd versions of it before he kind of came to the, recorded in 1984, but was really made famous by John Cale of Velvet Underground in 91, and then ultimately Jeff Buckley recorded it on Grace. Um, his massive posthumous album. Um, anyway, it was a 
big posthumous hit. I mean, didn't record it posthumously. Uh, if you haven't heard Hallelujah by Jeff Buckley, you need to. But anyway, I, I, I think about the first line of that song. Um, now I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, uh, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lifts, the baffled king composing hallelujah. So I, this idea that there's a magical chord or a magical sound that can do something beyond just being a sound. And that's how I always think about how binaural beats are being sold to me that if you and what a binaural beat is real quickly is it's two pure tones it's uh, a tone that you're hearing in your left ear and a slightly different tone that you're hearing in the in your right ear and when they're played simultaneously it creates the illusion of a beat um, and if you see it written out, you, you can kind of see why if you superimpose one wave, a constant wave over another, you can see how the beats are sort of created. It's all physics, baby. Um, and so the binaural beat is basically sort of put out there as, hey, you know, could this, you know, if you're listening to these beats at night, could it cure insomnia? And there's really never been any kind of meaningful research that I've ever seen that shows that any of that is particularly helpful. And we'll get into things like that and AM, uh, AMSR and AOMSR and all the different, you know, sounds that people listen to when they go to sleep, which is perfectly fine. You know, if somebody says, look, I'm a great sleeper, but I like to listen to these little beats and funky sounds as I fall asleep and I've got them on a timer. And once I fall asleep, they go off and I'm, I'm fine with that. But I think where you get into trouble is individuals are saying, I can't sleep without my noise machine. I can't sleep without my binaural beats. Like sure you can. Uh, and, and that's where we have to sort of kind of create the science of, Hey, listen, I'm a great sleeper, but I sometimes feel if I'm listening to this, it, it enhances things a little bit. It keeps me in a little bit of a deeper sleep or, or whatnot, according to my fitness tracker or whatever it's fine so i mean I, I think that um you know the evidence of these things is is slight uh and that includes the the brain damage evidence as well too so to sort of sum things up and in, in sort of end the show i think white noise can serve a purpose for people i think it does a very good job of taking an environment that is problematic uh frustrating uh, something that's not controllable and make it controllable. And I personally, I travel, there's a, there's a little hockey sized rechargeable noise machine called a Rome. So they, the company that made dome made Rome, which I thought was a great, it's R O H M. And it's fantastic. I just keep it in my travel bag. And if I get to a place where it's noisy or, um, you know, I'm sleeping with my wife in a hotel room and, you know, I'm moaning around or doing something weird at night, you know, snoring because I'm congested or something. We've got this thing that she can put on and kind of drown me out. And there's all this kind of talk about sleep divorces and things like that, where I think a lot of sleep divorces could probably just be fixed by a, <laughs> by a simple noise machine. And if you can't get your partner to go do something about his snoring or her snoring. So I think they're great for that. I think everybody should have some sort of ability to sort of make their environment quiet. You know, not everybody lives in a 
quiet place. If you're a shift worker, you may come home to a bed where your family's up on the phone. Phones are ringing, people knocking at the door. I think they're they're great for that. I think where we get into a little bit of trouble is using the white noise, the pink noise, the brown noise, the purple noise um, to enhance sleep you know, fundamentally. I just don't think the research really shows that in a particularly compelling manner. Um, and certainly not anything more that you could achieve through perhaps meditation, increasing your exercise, et cetera. Uh, I think that pink noise is probably a better, uh, a better solution than things like white noise. If you have access to both, choose the pink noise. I think it's also a much more pleasing sound has a much more kind of waterfall sound than who left the radio tuned to a, you know, channel that doesn't exist kind of sound. So I think that's um, pretty good, good as well too. Um, so keeping it that. So that's it. I mean, I think that these things are, are perfectly fine. Um, this here's the question I always ask my patients about their noise machine. If you went on a trip and you were two hours into your trip and realized you didn't bring your noise machine, would you turn the car around and go back? Or would you be like, oh, I'm fine with it. I'm fine without it. I think that's where we want to be. It's enhancement to our sleep. It's not a dependence. So thank you very much for tuning in to my noise extra white noise extravaganza. Uh, please follow me on my social media, Dr. Chris Winter at Twitter, Dr. Chris Winter on uh, Instagram. I'll put some pictures up of the alien naming test and the different colors of sound so you can see how they kind of stack up and relate to each other on the sound spectrum. Uh, I've got two books out there, The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and How to Fix It, and The Rested Child, which came out a few months ago. Uh, about sleep disorders in kids, the rest of the child, why you're tired, wired, or irritable child may have a sleep disorder and how to help. Look forward to hearing your comments, questions, suggestions for future topics. Uh, and who knows, if you're lucky, you may be the mailbag uh, feature for our upcoming uh, next episode. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until then, I am Dr. Chris Winter. This is Sleep Unplugged. Sleep well. <laughs>